Welcome to Between Two Curators, uh, the podcast where two friends and, well, curators discuss art and life and what or who and inspires them. I'm Cliff. And I'm Jen. And in this episode, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Abe Rogers, who is an incredible designer, architect, founder of the eponymous Abe Rogers design firm between London and Melbourne. Hi, Abe. Hi, Hello. How are you all this morning? You know, pretty good. All things considering, pretty good. Um, I wore a bright orange sweater in your honor. <laughs> um, oh, good. I think getting dressed is quite strange in these days. Yeah, well, it's better than my, you know, pajamas or else. Um, I thought that maybe we could start by you know, asking one of those quite typical, but hopefully we divert into odd places, questions um, about founding your own practice. I know that you've had quite the journey. Maybe you could tell us a bit about that. <laughs> um, sure. I think finding, I founded my own practice in uh, 97, coming straight out of the Royal College of Art generally because I was a little bit unemployable as far as anyone getting jobs <laughs> else, elsewhere. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever left a job which hasn't been working for myself without being, being sacked first. So I didn't have that many choices. And I split it between teaching in Leeds and running a kind of very uncommercial practice in London with Shona Kitchen, doing, do, doing kind of funny stuff. Um, so mainly funny unpaid stuff. stuff. So we, <laughs> we did... You know, I think we did an exhibition for FSB door handles where we attached a, a, music, a sound to every door handle. So in the trade show, which was Spectrum, like the predecessor to 100% design, when you open the door handles, they would go, bruh, 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 or they would make the sound of a whale or of a kind of scrunchy <laughs> hinge. Um, so it's about bringing humour to places where, where humour was less, um, existed less. And then I think in the millennium, we had our first commercial break, which was Topshop's Windows where mm. we al allowed all the um, accessories to attack the mannequins. And we had these hundreds of motorised handbags talking and belts squirming a a a around. And then we got Comme de Garçon, and then it kind of just slowly, piece by piece, it became more and more a full-time uh, thing. I love it. That's completely pay playful. Um, not to bring it back to the art world, but I will remember to share with you a video by an artist collective called Traumarama, where they bring to life these different handbags um, and yeah. different types of like consumerist items, which I think is quite, yeah. It's not I think what you design, Our design has always <laughs> been really influenced by the art world and the, the, within the, the humour. Humour. Mm. Humour. Mm. So, say more about that. Did you, was, um, or your artistic influences? Um, is that something that you've, you've, you've followed um, since studying, before studying? How's, how's art played a role in your, in your life and thought? I think I left school really early, like at 16, and went back to the Royal College when I was 28 without a, a BA, so just an, an MA. And I think at the Royal College, I discovered a lot of, 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 of artists, particularly maybe Nicky Sanfal. And I think the Tarot Gardens um, have been a huge influence, but also the relationship with, with, with Tingley and the kinetic interventions. Mm. You know, I think Joseph Boyce and his kind of wearable um, art. And then, um, you know, Rebecca Horn and the, the kind of poetry of, of, and playfulness. And then, you know, just going, I mean, a lot of seminal shows at the, at the Hayward, really, right back in the day. Yeah. Um, being quite old, one goes back into the, to the day. But things <laughs> like uh, Spellbound, when Peter Greenaway had all those living um, people inside his, his, his shows. And Terry Gillingham did that incredible filing cabinet of, of, 
of wonderful stuff, his sketchbooks, his things that he found, mm. kind of you know, deeply playful. Or, yeah, absolutely, um, bringing it, bringing it all to life. The the sort of the animated quality of everything. Com- com- completely. And there was is it what's the Japanese digital artist? It did a big show back in the also I think the late nineties. With all the numbers um, floating around spaces, completely kind of recreating spaces, begins with a T. Tashi, yeah. Tashi... Uh, Miyajima. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm quite dyslexic, so lots of things come out back to front and upside down. But I think that is part of the charm. It's part of the charm. <laughs> <laughs> makes it great. So, so forgive me for mispronunciations. Um, before you're, start. you're forgiven. You're <laughs> In case there was any question. Um, so we, we noted, we were having a chat with Cliff, you know, that Sarah Alfred, you know, if you, if, you, if you look up Abe Rogers, somebody will, oh, the story about you making cabinets um, comes up. Um, and we were wondering about the relationship between craft and material and, you know, how that fits into your own practice. I think, you know, I, I um, spend, yeah, I have, I have very, I work a lot with my hands, I guess, whether yeah. it's in the kitchen or whether it is in the um, in the in, in in the office, I sadly don't make enough things anymore. But I also love doing pottery. But I think Ooh. yeah, Abe's yeah, lifting his uh, his hands up to the camera now, just for our listeners. These yeah, two yeah. hands, <laughs> he makes things with these very hands. <laughs> these. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, these days they do more cooking and and occasional throwing the pots um, <laughs> with Marsha Blakenham. But um, I, I yeah, I love the the, the direct the, the sensuality of using your hands. I find really important. And I think there is a temptation in design that we all just become so reliant upon the computer and spend too much time um, staring into it and looking at it, ending up creating endless options. And I think when we do things with our hands, mm. it, we tend to be more singular and it becomes more, more direct. And it's that, it's trying to avoid that, the lossage in the, in, the, in, in the computer that I think is really important. So I think also being, a, you know, making things, you understand how things stand up and on the computer you don't necessarily... They, they can use more opportunity to capsize. You know what? Um, that is it's such a basic thing, but it's so true. You just understand how things stand up. It's how they function. There's you a know, fantastic book, which is... Sorry. No, no, yeah, no, 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 please continue. The, um, the new science... The, sorry, the, the science of new materials or why things mm. don't fall through the floor is a kind of very... <laughs> it's written in the 70s, but it just goes through different materials. It's a guy who was... a. A, a material scientist during during World War Two, and he, it just all these different uh, in, inventions, and explaining the kind of the most the basic simplest materials. I love that. Why um, why things don't fall through the floor? That's very good. Because if your architect <laughs> built the floor properly, then the thing won't fall through the floor. <laughs> well, exactly. But if you know you come along with a Richard Serra, the architect <laughs> may not have been expecting the f-ing massive lump of steel. <laughs> To sit on your floor, so you might have to go and put more bits of things inside the floor. Fair point. Uh, fair point. Um, is there is there a tension then between uh, certain aspects of your work, which, um, well, one they're high color. We'll come and we'll talk about that. Um, but um, high gloss uh, things are are very shiny. Um, lots of things have um, what one might describe as an industrial finish. But I wonder about that tension then between um, the craftsmanship, that the sort of handmade the sort of reference of natural materials and what's a more sort of industrial leaning aesthetic? I think tension is the most important thing in design and mm. potentially in art and in, and, in, and in space. And when I look at the, the Bridget Riley sitting inside the Hayward, the tension between that uh, raw, brutal space and those, those incredibly powerful paintings makes that 
show. Like, yeah. For me, that's what I think it all becomes about. I think, you know, you talk about industrial and, and colour, but, you know, there's more colour in nature than in industry to an extent. You know, the, the orange of an orange is really, really, really orange. And the sky, when it's blue, which is not today, sadly, but is really, really blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think we've just finished Maggie's, which is our first standalone building. Yes. And of course, Maggie's, Maggie's is about uh, people recovering or dealing with or processing cancer and people associated around them. And I think in those situations, the hand or the, the hand craft becomes super important. So in Maggie's, every door handle is, in, is hand carved in, in different. So they're like little sculptures. And a door handle in, is a really interesting opportunity for a sculpture. So I um, worked with a very, very good f- dear friend of mine who's a cabinet maker and, and, and originally an artist who sculpted each one of them with its own little story. And the idea being that as you interface with the door handle, this, the, you, you, it's, it triggers memories without being too um, layering on too much information. I just hope, hope these, these are a trigger. So everything, can, everything that you touch in Maggie's is wood. Everywhere you go, we allow daylight in because I think daylight has amazing mending powers. But then we, you know, we want it to be seen and we want it to be the beacon in this big industrial hospital site surrounded by cars, by towers, by... Um, by massive architecture. We made it all in, in five shades of red. But the red was not, was, is all glazed. So the, the terracotta comes out of the earth, one end of the factory, it goes through a load of kilns, it gets glazed, and then it comes out in these, these red, shiny surfaces. But when we go inside the building, everything is absorbent. All the colours are very, very matte. Um, so as the light pours into the building, the, the, the surfaces, the colours drink the light. Um, and and re- re- and bring it back back out. So again, it's a playing, I guess, a tension between daylight, between colour, between warmth of material, and then absence of colour. Because mm. though everyone says we use a lot of colour, we also use a lot of white to frame the colour. Yeah, I love this. It makes total sense. And I love this project so much because something that I'm personally working on really closely at the moment is at the intersection of art and healthcare. And it's a project that I started two and a half years ago when I myself was in hospital and started consulting various doctors, whether it be autism, you know, at King's College London or other doctors focusing on Alzheimer's and or at Great Ormond Street Hospital with children. And once again, as you said, it was color that came up. It was light. It was about that sensuality being able to activate all the senses and I love the fact that you use the word trigger because it's about something that sparks something in you when you might be feeling so much otherwise what can you do that will overcome that negative feeling to create something that's beautiful and positive um yeah I this I my my heart glows literally (laughs) just like um (laughs) hearing about this project but we're working a lot in hospitals at the moment. We've been working yeah. with the St Mary's paediatrics. And it, I, I'm sure you've seen the, the Bridget Riley in St Mary's. Yeah. Mm. Which is, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's the only thing that can compete with the coldness of a hospital is the te- when she takes over those three corridors and just paints those extraordinary stripes down it. And suddenly any amount of medical machinery falls back and all you mm. see is, this, is this, this, the significance of this paint. But there's a very beautiful project done there with a, um, an artist whose name I forget, um, where she worked with all the kids creating a, a palette of colours, but they named them all. So they have things like urine yellow um, <laughs> or suntan orange. or I don't, they're, they're really, they're really po- kind of poetic, these, these colour placements. Um, and within our work, we try to use those, their colours to, to take it back in. So it's kind of a, becomes a bit of a circular story. But I think, you know, 
the ability to, to improve health in hospitals by changing the way they look and feel is so important. And it really is the thing that gets brushed aside. And as soon as any, we, were, we had three projects about to start before coronavirus, obviously for very good reasons. They've obviously all been put on hold, but working in um, the prenatal, sorry, the neonatal unit in St, in St. Thomas's, which is also a really interesting area where people, where people have, children have been born and they can't touch them. And so the, the tension there and how can design and art help to, to, to create a dialogue? Yeah. I love the, I love what you said earlier about the, the surfaces drinking up light. So it's a, it's a really great way of thinking about rather than reflecting, but sort of um, embodying their kind of own light. It's great. Um, and those projects I think, are, you know, when you look at, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to talk about Barrican, just how, <laughs> Guys, how Barrican, ping-ponging. <laughs> like, how Barrican's, Barrican's colours just drink the light, you know, the Mexican sunlight, and they charge oh. those colours in the most extraordinary way. And people are ever trying to bring those colours back to the UK. And of course, our sun is so different that you never get that same saturation. I was just going to say that those projects are all really great examples of um, holistic thinking and, and a holistic solution um, in terms of integrating all the aspects from the, the you know the shell of the whole building right down to as you say those those tiny deals details of, of craftsmanship on the, on the door handles and I wondered if you could say, talk a bit about setting up a studio or a practice um, that uh, combines all those different aspects rather than you know sets out to be a specialist in architecture or a specialist in lighting um, but but approaches everything as in a more integrated way I think you know coming from a you know I was a sailor I was a cabinet maker I had many interests um, and definitely not an architect and I think architecture can be very singular and I think um, my old partner Shona Kitchen was came from an architectural interior but really was a, was an installation artist and so we had these very different pools from an early on stage and we didn't we employed students that we met along the way so we kind of built this this uh um very multidisciplinary place. So I think in the early days, there was Yongju, who was a Korean industrial designer, mm. um, Asuka, who was a Japanese graphic designer, and Yosuke, who was a Japanese furniture designer. And the way we would communicate the work was, a very, was very different from a, a standard architectural practice and how hands-on we would, we, would, we would get to the point when things would go wrong and we would leave resin floors in Selfridges, which were still sticky, um, and receive many <laughs> telephone calls from Selfridges saying, what the f*** have you done? <laughs> and we realised the reason that people use the contractors is so they could get rid of responsibility when, when experimenting. Um, and we had many big disasters along the, the, the way in those days. But certainly we're always really interested in these different disciplines. And that's not to say that we, the graphic designers don't just do graphics. We'll get, have a graphic designer work on a, a wall finish and a, mm. um, an industrial designer work on a, on a, on a, on a building. It, you're working with different, different scales. And we have brilliant architects as well. I'm not being anti-architecture, but we try to corrupt the process all the time to bring all the elements together. And then because of the dyslexia, I have a very good writer. So it brings in more disciplines and words become very, very important within, within the work. And we spend a lot of time working on how, on the, on the, the, the story, the narrative of the, mm. of, of the project that brings it together. Because you need this invisible glue if you have many different components. You know, if the door handle comes from a different world than the door, it's fine as long as they can talk to each other. And the problem, I, you know, the difference between Memphis and, and postmodern or when postmodern goes wrong is that the conversation breaks down. Whereas yeah. in Memphis, they always manage to, there's always a healthy tension where they, however 
bizarre, the juxtapositioning is the conversation is, is, really, is really interesting and exciting. And it's that balance, isn't it, between, you know, ha- hanging art on a wall, you, you must come across it all the, the, the time, and the right art on the right wall in the right way. And it's, very, it's impossible to say what that... It, I find it hard to, to, to pinpoint what those uh, differences are between when it works and doesn't work, but there is, there is a, a huge amount out there that we have to, to juggle. That's a really... Yeah, yeah. It's a really fine balance getting the... Um... Uh, getting the tension, we'll come back to tension again, um, right between the, the, the two, you know, the or different uh, specialisms, specialists, people with the sort of expertise, the received wisdom that's been passed down through generations, but then allowing those things to completely play. And, and if the, you know, if the, if the picture is crooked, it's probably because the, uh, the curator was messing around with it, not because the technician wasn't able to do their job. <laughs> Same thing with like, the Selfridge's floor. It's like, oh, you let the graphic designer lay the floor again, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. Honestly, if you let us into the Haywood, we don't, we don't make sticky floors anymore. We haven't done that for a while. <laughs> for a while. Promise. Um, but it's really important to experiment. No, and it's really important to try the crooked painting or to, 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 um, to try to do things in different ways and, and for unexpected things to, to happen. And the worst can, can, be, can, can be that you have to do it again or the soup doesn't taste very good. Um, but you only, I think you learn, I've, I've learned a lot from making, making mistakes. And the early practice was really about ex- experimenting. And in those experiments, things, things failed. You know. We did a... Um, for, for Glasgow 99, we created an, an interactive ceiling um, that as you walk through the space, we change height and, and, and speed. And when we first installed it, we got the gears the wrong size and the, the speed and the violence of which you moved <laughs> completely terrified the, the, wow. the, the curator. Um, it was, we, we kind of described it as Donald Judd meeting, meeting Star Wars. Um, but this was <laughs> dun, definitely dun, feeling dun, more like dun, Star, dun, dun, Star Wars <laughs> than, uh, than Donald Judd. And then we slowed it down. But when we came to take the exhibition down, it was, there was one tiny piece of metal that was still holding up the, 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 the ceiling. Because, you know, it was about to, it was on the verge of collapsing. Yeah. We have not yet ever um, really hurt anyone, but it's come close. <laughs> But I think that is where one has to be to be careful. I think Christo killed three people, no, with his umbrellas. No. Um, which is where maybe experimenting goes too far. I don't know, that's a macabre thing to have brought up. I don't know, yeah, but, experiment. But I think, you know, experiment within the safety and confines within, of your own, your own setups. Yeah, and I was right about to bring up, I mean, I think, I mean, apart from inventing and making mistakes one thing that really comes across from your projects and even just speaking to you as an individual is a sense of fun and joy and I don't always feel like the conversation around design and architecture is articulated around these words of fun and joy and I was wondering if maybe that's linked to color that's linked to your approach and I don't know maybe we could flesh that out a little bit yeah, I, I think I'm a, you know, I, I passionately believe in hedonism. I think hedonism is, is, yes. is, is, a, is a really good, important thing. Um, and we work on this festival in Thailand, Wonderfruits, which is... Which Incredible is, festival, yeah. Kind of, it, which is, it was about sustainability and hedonism and, the, and that interrelationship, which I think, you know, I, I, I really in, in, in enjoy. And, the, the, you know, the reason we do the work, the work we're talking about in hospitals is, is there to make people smile. And, and if you yeah. smile, you're going to feel better than if you cry and sometimes we need to cry in order to, to stir thing, things up and I believe in a kind of I believe in a, a really emotional a, a, a 
approaches and trying to engage the senses and the and the emotions in 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 the work. You know, I think when Richard, my dad, first did the Pompidou, he called it a fun palace, and that's he, he refers back to that um, yeah. a lot. And you know, that celebration of color and mechanics really becomes about fun. But there is a tendency that architects can really take themselves too seriously, and artists, and some curators, I dare say, is is as well. Oh, for sure. In, yeah. In doing that, lose the. Um, He's pointing at you, Jen. Human- <laughs> no. <laughs> <I'm not pointing. laughs> I'm pointing at no one. He's a like, curator. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but you can lose that that mm. vital relationship between humanity, you know, um, and, and 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 life and joy. Oh, I cannot. You know? re- yeah, I completely, completely am with you, um, especially when it yeah it comes. To I love Jacques Tati. I think. Yeah, I think Jati, you know, he, though he's a bit of a cantankerous old old man, he, his his joy of humour and the way he plays with our world, um, be it um, playtime or, or mon uncle, is just phenomenal. Yeah, I'm with you. And actually, I, I thought that maybe we could uh, just observing maybe the different things that you know bring you joy aside from art and architecture and the sense of play, I mean, it comes back to making things with your hands. And I thought that maybe we could take two minutes to talk about food. Because one oh. thing, you know, one of the, when, when we met, we just really went onto this tangent about talking about food and making. And I think it comes back to what you were saying about this activation of the senses. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we could spiral into that. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, also it goes back to, I think, what we were saying at the beginning, which is about craft. And I think the yeah. problem about architecture and is control. And when we, we, everything we do has to be to go through endless insurance and contractors and we, it's about getting it interpreted and then trying and then it gets value engineered. And then we have to keep it alive and revitalise it. When we cook, we go to the shop or even better, we go to the allotment and we pick we go to the shop and, you know, I'm very good friends with my fishmonger and my butchers and the greengrocers. And we, we choose our vegetables and we smell them and we feel them for the ripeness and, we, and the stiffness and the sliminess of the fish. And we talk to the fishmonger about where the fish came from. And we know what time of year it is as far as, you know, about to come into an amazing season for turbots. Um, Ooh, and now, I did not now know the, restaurants are, the restaurants aren't getting them all. We can really get hands on amazing turbots. And they can be really slimy and, the, and, you know, hopefully the fisherman knows where in the net the fish came from. And we have the whole the fish's story. And then we take it home and we can, we can smell the fish and we can think about the flavours that will combine it and ha- will bring out, um, bring out more of that, of that, of that fish into, it, in it, into its story. And then we come home and we, we make a mayonnaise and we apply some oil and some, to some egg and we slowly move it and we watch this um, material transform um, from being an egg and oil and salt into being this extraordinary emulsified yellow orange. Hopefully, we have a very yellow, a very orange egg. Um, and then we, you know, and in my funny little mind, I can sit and see flavors come together in the same way that I can sit and see colors come together yeah. in, uh, in in design. And they're very similar similar processes. And I have a little two year old, or not quite two year old. Yeah. And for me, it's a really fantastic way to communicate with her. And we can sit and we can, you know, she can hardly talk, 
but she can, but she really understands how to crack an egg and she loves watching the egg go in. She loves watching the transformation and stirring. And occasionally I need to direct her a little bit because she'll put too much salt in everything <laughs> or she'll put, you know, she'll curdle the mayonnaise as we're trying oh, to make it. Oh, God. But, you know, but, you know, going through those... What a naughty two-year-old. What a naughty <laughs> two-year-old. <laughs> foolish two-year-old not yeah. to understand when you're pouring the oil too fast. But then you make little rabbit and she really gets more and more excited by the food that she'd seen come together you know the other day I made we made together gazpacho and tortilla because she's half Spanish and her joy of eating it because it reminded her of her grandparents that she hadn't seen in 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 some months and I think you know what we're all talking about is is sensory um engagement Mm. and that Mm. is a Bridget Riley that is in in the in, in these this amazing space where three Bridget Rileys talking to each other and it stirs it stirs your soul walking down the corridor in St Mary's that is hopefully going into Maggie's and feeling this sense of space that's being created all around you in order to engage your spirit and to feel the circadian ribbon of the daylight charging in um, and that is also eating uh, a, a, an exquisite soup where these things that have come from the ground have all come together and met each other and having a really good conversation that hopefully with a little bit of tension because if the tension isn't there then it all becomes a a blamage it's brilliant (laughs) it's it's all it's the primacy of experience isn't it it's all the the this unmediated experience of of the two-year-old um and uh Cooking, cooking with toddlers by Abe Rogers will be published by, uh, <laughs> by between two curators in twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch the space. Um, but we wanted yeah, to we wanted exactly. to round it up, um, Abe, just by asking a question that we ask we ask every guest, um, and that is, um, what creative inspiration do you have, or creative advice do you have uh, for our listeners? In the time of COVID. Oh no! Generally. I mean, I, I was like, I think, no, generally. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a set I think in a time of COVID, I've really, really discovered slowness and I'm really liking everything taking longer. And I find that quite interesting. It's really changed the way that I'm seeing things. I think in general, I think to be inspired, to be inspired by everything that you see and you, you feel, whether it's a man with a giant hammer, um, <laughs> almost comically back it, banging a stake, which sadly I didn't get a picture, or um, biting into a, to a pear, which I think a pear maybe is the most noble of, of fruits, or looking at the blue sky and the extended shadows, um, or enjoying the sound of, 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 of rain. Um, and I think it's about pushing boundaries and um, listening to, pushing boundaries um, and listening to, allowing yourself to, to, to engage in the world. Um, and celebrating joy and um, and the senses. Is that advice? That's so That's beautiful. Fantastic advice. <laughs> yeah, great advice. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, you know, I think this is the moment where you know, if people want to, um, Abe, if people want to find out more about your about your practice and what you're up to and what you're doing, I guess they can go on your website, right? That's um, abrogers.com. They can go on our websites. Abe. Yep, and they can go, we have a little Instagram account. Um, we have one for the office, which is Abe Rogers Design, I think. And the other one for me, which is more about food at the moment. Um, <laughs> occasionally it deals with design. Um, and cooking with, with, with Jay through, through COVID, um, which is ab.rogers, I think. Anyway, I'm sure you can find it. it um, <laughs> perfect, amazing. Uh, 
Yeah, and we, you know, we've got, we've got to work our way through and deal with, with, with Zoom. Though I have to say this is a much more joyful Zoom call than, than many of my, of, of, my, of my Zoom calls. Oh, my so God, I, I for sure second that. Lots of laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> I really thank you for all the laughs. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you both for all your great work. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you, Abe. And, you know, everyone, thanks for listening. And join us next time for more creative chat. Bye. Bye. Bye.